morning. 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 Let's go ahead and begin Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this afternoon to come and set. We thank you so much for how you run your universe and the principles of truth, love, and freedom. We pray that you'll join us this morning and lighten our minds and we come to know you and your purposes for us. We pray in your holy name. Yesterday evening, one of our friends on the Designers Friends Down Under Facebook page posted this from Christ Object Lessons, and I just thought it was so good I wanted to share it with you. This is out of uh, Christ Object Lessons, page 125. The great storehouse of truth is the word of God, the written word, the book of nature, and the book of experience in God's dealing with human life. Isn't that amazing? And look, here is our... So if you guys don't have one of these flyers to share, there's a whole bunch of them out there, just take them. But the integrative evidence-based approach that we use, science, scripture, science and experience, integrated, looking for harmonized truth, and there it is, right in Christ's object lessons, and who knew, right? Isn't that cool? Yeah. All right, so this week we're doing lesson number 11 in the quarterly, The Teachings of Jesus, and the title of the lesson this week is The Sabbath. And the memory text, out of Mark 2, 27-28, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath, or it's also Lord of the Sabbath. Any thoughts about that text? This is my paraphrase of that text. After a moment to let them think, he said, the Sabbath was created as a gift for humanity, to be a blessing for human beings. Human beings were not created as a gift for the Sabbath. Understand this clearly, the Son of Man doesn't serve the Sabbath, it serves him. Does the Sabbath serve Jesus? How? What is the purpose and function of the Sabbath? God created it. What's its purpose? What's its function? How does it serve in the Lord's plan and agenda? To remind us that he is the creator. To remind us he's the creator, yes. To turn our thoughts toward God. Uh, it's a reminder of his creation, primarily. And, and all, all the things about God... Stemming from his creation, his relationship to us. Okay. Is the Sabbath, which was made for man, to be sure, only for man, or does it benefit the onlooking universe as well? It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. Is this, the, is this earth a spectacle, a theater to the onlooking universe? Does what, happen, does what happens here on earth have benefit to the beings outside planet earth? Well, this is out of Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Did you ever realize that the heavenly beings needed the cross? And this is Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. His intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ. Notice, God had a purpose, eternal, into eternity past that he was going to accomplish through Christ and through the church to somehow inform the heavenly beings of God's manifold wisdom. Does the Sabbath play a role in that? This is one of the founders of our church historical view. This is out of Zyre of Ages, page 19. By coming to dwell with us, Jesus was to reveal God both to men and to angels. He was the word of God, God's thoughts made audible. In his prayer for his disciples, he said, 
I have declared unto them thy name, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Notice this, this connection how I've declared your name, I've declared your character, how good you are for a purpose, so that the love that you have in me might be in them. Notice the, the, the connection here. Understanding who God is is the vehicle, the mechanism whereby that love gets in us. But not alone for his earthborn children was this revelation given. Our little world is the lesson book of the universe. God's wonderful purpose of grace, the mystery of redeeming love, is the theme which angels desire to look and will be the study, their study throughout endless ages. Both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ their science and their song. It will be seen that the glory shining from the face of Jesus is the glory of self-sacrificing love. In the light from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of, notice the law of what? The law of self-renouncing love is the law of life for earth and heaven. That the love which seeks not our own has its source in the heart of God and that in the meek and lowly one is manifested the character of him who dwells in light that no man can approach. So, so do you understand that the heavenly beings are being informed, being educated, coming to understand the true nature of who God is and how he operates, that this principle of selfless love is the principle that life is built to operate upon? Was the Sabbath involved in that? Does the Sabbath have a role in revealing that? Why was the Sabbath necessary? What benefit is there in the Sabbath? What is its purpose? How does the Sabbath serve God? Have you ever heard the Sabbath is a sign? Of what? Exodus tells us in Exodus 31, it's a sign that he's the one who makes us holy. Um, if one holds Reformation theology, you know what Reformation theology is, the theology coming from the Reformers, like Luther and Calvin. You understand there's the, when, when people talk about Reformation theology, which is basically had a stranglehold on Protestant Reformation since its inception, it, it, its initiation with Luther, Luther's man of God, these guys are men of God, they're stepping out of a, of a history of a thousand years of tradition, and they're stepping forward in, in their march forward. But 500 years later, to hold their views is moving backwards. But understand that, that these men of God who were moving out of this, this history of tradition and, and like Luther giving the Bible to the people. Do you understand Luther didn't give the Bible that you and I have to the people? He only gave 62 books of the Bible to the people. He said four of those books he could, find, not, could not find Christ in them, so he bundled them together, put them at the end of the back of the book, and said, this is not really, you know, uh, you know we're in, I can't really find Christ in these books. And those four books, Revelation, which tells us of the war in heaven. Hebrews, which tells us of our heavenly high priest, and he's interceding for us in heaven. Jude, which tells us about that war behind the scenes when, when Michael comes down and resurrects Moses and their battle uh, behind the scenes. And James, which of course he felt was a book of works, not faith. And so when you take Reformation theology, you undercut the lar larger landscape of a universal conflict going on over the trustworthiness of God. And you see this thing then very much just about you and me. It becomes very penal in its view. It's a narrow view. Some people operate then in this narrow view, this view of the Reformation construct, of an imposed law construct, um, and then they present the Sabbath as an arbitrary test of obedience. And in doing so, they misrepresent God, misrepresent the Sabbath, and support Satan's allegations against God. 
But if you put it in the setting of the war between God and Satan, over God's character, government, love, methods, then what does the Sabbath reveal? If you put it in that setting, there's a war in heaven. Satan is alleged that God can't be trusted. Uh, the created intelligent beings of the universe are confused. God begins creating life on this planet. The attention of the intelligences are drawn here as they see what God has made on day one and day two and day and on day six. Let us make man in our image. Let them be fruitful. He gives them the ability to procreate. He gives them dominion over the earth. What a display of power. And what's he do on day seven? Yeah, he said, universe, you've heard the allegations. Take 24 hours aside. I, I rest my case. No exercise of coercive pressure, no threat, no get in line or else. What does day one through six tell Scott is power? Day seven reveals the character of the one who wields it. It was created for the purpose of truth, love, freedom, and operation. Consider for yourself. I'm not going to force you. I'm going to leave you free. And then, as I said earlier, the Sabbath points to creation, creation week. And think about this planet as designed before sin infected it. What law does this planet operate on in Eden? The law, was there any imposed rules? Was there any, was there any police force? Was there any magistrates, any judicial process, any, any, any uh, prisons, any, any, anything that we call law on planet Earth today, did it exist in Eden? No, the law of creation is the law of the one who builds the fabric of the cosmos. It is the design protocols upon which life is built, gravity and physics and and the law of love and liberty and these principles. This is what Sabbath points to. God is the designer, the creator. Remember him who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and the springs. His ways are higher than ours. We cannot create reality, so we create rules. And then we infect our, our thinking about God by, by projecting onto God that he's like us and he makes a bunch of rules. No, he creates reality. So why, in the end of time, does Sabbath and Sunday stand as signs of two opposing methodologies? How did Sabbath come into existence? How did it come into existence? This is not a trick question. How did it come into existence? Sabbath. God blessed it. It was created, built, constructed by God as a day of rest, reflection, worship. Uh, It was built to operate upon the law of love and truth. This is how it was constructed by God. Its very purpose in its in its origin. Isn't it also the human body rejuvenate the one day of rest? She says, doesn't it help the human body? It helps the mind certainly decompress and not be stressed. I have patients in my practice all the time that are just overwhelmed with anxiety and stress, and I ask them, do you take one day in seven to set aside all the cares of the world, to not do your laundry, do your homework, the housework, to not go shopping, to just take 24 hours aside every seven days and rest? Not your body. Your body gets rest at sleep, but your mind. Most of my patients, even those who go to church every week, don't do this. And it's restorative to do this. But you can get that restoration by resting your mind any day of the week. If you do that kind of rest any day of the week, you will be physiologically and psychologically benefited by that. Sunday is a day of rest and worship. How did it come into existence as a day of rest and worship? So notice you have one day created by God 
invested with the principles of truth presented in love, leaving people free, which the creator himself rested, another day was declared to be holy by an arbitrary act of human power. And Sunday then represents symbolically how created beings rule. Sabbath represents how the creator rules by actually building life to operate on design protocols of love. Sunday represents how created beings rule by a bunch of rules that we arbitrarily declare and then enforce with the power of the state. This is a completely different type of rulership. The designer rules by love and transgression of his law. What happens if you transgress God's law? What is the problem with that? Somebody tell me. Why? Why is that? Why, why do you die? You're out of harmony with the protocols of life. There you go. It would be like, why do you die if you tie a plastic bag over your head? Why do you die if you jump off the Empire State Building? Why do you, why do you get bad pain and suffering and if you jab it deep enough, die if you jab a pencil in your eye? Because you just deviate from how things were designed. This is design law. Why does your car stop running if you put water in the gas tank? It wasn't designed to run that way. It's deviating from design law. This is God's law. Yes? I can see this applying to all the Ten Commandments, but I can't see it applying to Sabbath because, like you said, if you rest your mind any day of the week, you still get rejuvenated. So I didn't know how the Sabbath is also a natural law. Good. Excellent. So let's, let's keep going because see if we can't draw this out. Let's keep her question in mind. This is a perfect question. So the designer operates, the design law is operating on, on the law of how life is actually built to operate, both physical and moral. Physical and moral. You know the difference, right? If you cheat on your spouse, do you understand you get damaged by that? Your conscience gets seared, your character gets warped, you have increased anxiety, increased fear, your reason gets damaged, you are damaged by doing it. If you steal from your employer, you get damaged by that. Violating moral law injures the one who does it. How Sabbath related to that? If you understand, and we're talking right now how they represent, Sabbath and Sunday represent two systems. One day represents design law, one day represents just a declared day of rest by arbitrary human power. If you break human law, and we're sitting in a courtroom, you... Anybody ever speed in college now? Not anymore. <laughs> you see, if you break human law, that requires a ruling authority to police breaches in the law, to catch you in your crime, to have a record of that, to present the evidence before a judge, to have a ruling and then have some enforcement of a punishment, because there's nothing inherently wrong with going 35 in a 30 zone, unless you're caught by the ruling authority. You see? There is something inherently wrong about putting water in your gas tank. And I promise you, if you do that, your manufacturer of your car will not hunt you down and punish you for that. Two different types of understanding law. So imposed law methods teach that God must inflict death upon the wicked Thus, those who teach this idea about God, that justice require God torture, God punish, God kill, regardless of which day they worship upon, are actually represented by Sunday. 
that day represents them, regardless of which day they worship on. An arbitrary act of power, not by the Sabbath. Conversely, those who teach the truth about God, the Sabbath as a sign, that the Sabbath is a sign, excuse me, for them, regardless of which day they currently worship upon. When governments begin enforcing worship upon pain of punishment, those who are like Jesus in character will not only will not go along with such enforcement and will leave that style of worship and come join those who value God's methods of truth, love, and freedom. In C.S. Lewis's last book of the Narnia series, Lewis describes a Calmarine soldier named Emeth and his encounter with Aslan, the lion. Emeth was a worshiper of Tash, and as a result was terrified when he came face to face with Aslan. This is the encounter from the book. I fell at his feet and thought, surely this is the hour of death for the lion who know, will know that I have served Tash all my days and not him. But Aslan's response, son, thou art welcome. But I said, alas, Lord, I am no son of thine, but a servant of Tash. He answered, child, all the service thou hast done to Tash, I account a service done to me. I question the glorious one. Lord, is it true then that thou and Tash are one? The lion growled and said, it is false, not because he and I are one, but because we are opposites. I take to me the service which thou hast done for him, for I and he are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Therefore, if any man swear by Tash and keepeth oaths for the oath's sake, it is by me that he has truly sworn, though he know it not. And it is I who reward him. And if any man do, do a cruelty in my name, then though he says the name Aslan, it is Tash whom he serves, and by Tash his deed is accepted. Emeth questions once more. Lord, I have been seeking Tash all my days. Beloved, said the glorious one, unless thy desire had been for me, thou should not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. What do you think about that? Did he get it right? Did C.S. Lewis get that right? Yes. Some of you look confused by that. Yes. If you go on the wrong path, you will get at the wrong destination. Is the wrong path determined by the label Tash or Aslan, Satan or Jesus, that you give the God you worship, or by the character and the quality of the being you worship? Which is the wrong path? Evidently, this individual worshiper of Tash was actually worshiping a being who had the character traits of Aslan. But he just called him Tash and he didn't know his name was Aslan. Whereas many people who worshiped Aslan worshiped a being who had the character traits of Tash. Look at 2,000 years ago, the people who worshiped Yahweh, but ascribed to Yahweh traits such that it was holy and righteous to kill Jesus and get him down off the cross before Sabbath. But they claimed they were worshiping Yahweh. Were they? Of course, Jesus said to them to their face, you are of your father, the, the devil. Yeah. And I think, do, do, are, are we agree? Yeah. Well, isn't this the text at the end of time when God says, you did these things in my name, but I knew you not? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So are we seeing, so does Sabbath and Sunday play into this? Will this be true regarding the day of worship? Are those who worship on Sabbath but represent God as Satan alleges him actually servants of Satan, even though they're worshiping on Sabbath. Yes. While those who worship on Sunday, but represent God rightly, are servants of Jesus Christ. Yes. Is it ultimately about Sabbath, or is it about the Lord of the Sabbath? 
have we ever lost sight of that? <laughs> then how does it, the Sabbath serve Jesus? Back to that question. Exodus 31, 12, and 13. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. How does the Lord make us holy? Is there any part we have to play in the process? Do we have choices to make? Do our choices have any part in our development, our sanctification, our our becoming holy? Can God make someone holy while they choose to rebel against him? Can a person by themselves make themselves holy by the exercise of their choices separate from God? No. This is out of... uh, Manuscript release 113 or Mind Character Personality, second volume 694. We are laborers together with God. This is the Lord's own wise arrangement. The cooperation of the human will and endeavor with divine energy is the link that binds men up with one another and with God. Man is to work with the faculties God has given him. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you, both to do, will and to do according to his good pleasure. And this is out of our high calling, page 310. There are two grand forces at work in the salvation of human soul. Did you know there are two grand forces at work? It requires the cooperation of man with divine agencies, divine influences, and a strong, living, working faith. It is in this way only that the human agent can become a laborer together with God. The Lord does not sanction in any one of us a blind, stupid credulity. I love this language, blind, stupid credulity. You know what credulity means? It means a ready, a readiness or willingness to believe without evidence. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We've got faith, we don't need evidence. How much of Christianity believes this way? God does not sanction in anyone a blind, stupid credulity. He does not dishonor the human understanding. But far from this, he calls for the human will to be brought into connection with the divine will. He calls for the ingenuity of the human mind, to the tact, the skill to be strenuously exercised in searching out the truth as it is in Jesus. There is something, some type of choosing that is involved in our tr- transformation. What is, what is it that is ours to do? Choose to trust. Choose, choosing to trust, choosing to value what he values, choosing to say yes to what he reveals to us, choosing to apply to our lives what he convicts us of, choosing to spend time with him, choosing to focus on him, choosing to believe the evidence Jesus has given, choosing to study his word, choosing to say no to the lies of Satan. Why is all of this necessary? Why do you have to make these choices? Because God does not want robots programmed by him. He wants free, intelligent beings operating in harmony with him. And the only way to heal us and retain our individuality is with our free will cooperation. He can't heal you and retain your individuality without you freely choosing to participate. Does that make sense to everyone? That is what God wanted Adam and Eve to do in the beginning. We're going to tie this back into the Sabbath in a minute. In Eden, sinless as they were, they were capable in their own strength before the fall of making decisions to mature and develop their own character. Post-fall, however, we are not capable of making those decisions by ourselves. 
we must be united with Christ. We must be linked up with him, yoked up with the yoke of love to have his, his presence, his wisdom, his strength to make those decisions. We can't do it by ourselves. They could have before the fall, but we couldn't. We can't now. This is why Christ came, to provide for us the ability in union with him to make these types of choices. Back in Eden, this is why the tree of knowledge was placed there. Many people present it under the Reformation theology view, under the imperial dictator view. God put it there as a test of their obedience, to test them in the sense of uh, uh, who you're going to choose. Uh, you know, we're, we're, I'm testing to see whether you're going to be loyal. No, 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 no. It was not that kind of a test. It was an opportunity for them to exercise their free will to develop a perfect character and solidify themselves in loyalty. This is out of Conflict and Courage, page 13. Our first parents, though created innocent and holy, were not placed beyond the possibility of wrongdoing because they were given freedom. They were free moral agents. That's why they could go and do something wrong. They were to enjoy communion with God and with holy angels, but before they could be rendered eternally secure, their loyalty must be tested. This is often misunderstood, this phrase. Let the paragraph here following explain what it means. At the very beginning of man's existence, a check was placed on the desire for self-indulgence the fatal passion that lay at the foundation of Satan's fall. The tree of knowledge which stood near the tree of life in the midst of the garden was to be a test of the obedience, faith, and love of our first parents. While permitted to eat freely of every other tree, they were forbidden to taste of this on pain of death. Why? Why was it pain of death? Because what would the exercise of that choice to do so mean? They have chosen to deviate from the design law of life. Like they put water in their gas tank. It's like they were told not to put water in their gas tank on pain of their vehicle not running. That's what it was. They were also to be exposed to the temptations of Satan. But if they endured the trial, they would be finally placed beyond his power to enjoy perpetual favor with God. God might have created them without the power to transgress his law. He might have withheld the hand of Adam from touching the forbidden fruit. But in that case, man would have been not a free moral agent but a mere automaton, an automation, a robot, a computer programmed. Without freedom of choice, his obedience would, have, would not have been voluntary, but forced. There could have been no development of character. It would have been unworthy of man as an intelligent being and would have sustained Satan's charges of God's arbitrary rule. Do you understand that the tree was placed there not to trip them up, but as an opportunity for them to weigh the evidences and to say no to the lies of Satan and to say, yes, God is like this and solidify themselves in their own character as friends of God who operate on his methods. That's what it was there for. See, God can create a perfect sinless being, but character is something that each being develops in themselves. Yes. Implied in that discussion, though, is a statement or idea that you can't develop character without evil. I think it's possible to develop character without evil. The tree of knowledge of good and evil gave a different opportunity. But you can still, it seems like you develop. See, I, I, I hear where you're going with this, Wendell. I think the, the, the context is the key. There was no tree of knowledge of good and evil needed before Satan raised the allegations. 
It was the context of the lies about God being told that intelligent beings now had to hear those lies and that weigh it out for themselves and thus make this decision. And so it was only when the presence of evil became necessary that one had to choose for or against it to solidify character. Prior to that, there was much... You know, Gabriel and others had character, but it had never been tried or tested. Tried or tested by God? No. Tried or tested by the lies about God that they never had to face before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Didn't uh, actually Satan himself, while he was still in heaven, represent the tree of knowledge of good and evil to us? So for the angel's sake, they had to explore that same option. With, with, um, With Satan telling these lies in heaven prior to him being... Um, you see where I'm going with that? In many ways, it was much harder for the angels. Right. It was much harder for the angels because the angels... Think about this. Would it be harder for you to have a stranger come and tempt you or the person you spent 50 years of your life with and trust without question? Who's going to be harder for you? Lucifer, who knows how many millennia and millions of years, was a trusted friend and, and according to Scripture, was perfect in all his ways and had did no evil until the day wickedness was discovered in him. So they had this long relationship with him that they trusted him. So it was much more vulnerable to deceit than Adam and Eve who simply had a serpent speak to them and a serpent speaking to them should have raised a flag like, hey, this is weird. Something's going on here. That's kind of strange. Okay, So that it was really not that... I mean, it seems to me that Adam and Eve had an easier time of it than the angels did, yes. I think it even transcends that, that the angels in heaven had never encountered dishonesty before. Right? Exactly. They had no idea what it was. That's right. And everything that came out of one's mouth was just assumed as truth. Exactly. That's the, but Adam and Eve had never seen dishonesty before. They'd been warned by God about it, but they hadn't actually seen it in operation either. Yes. Maybe it's a cosmic conflict as opposed to just a, a human conflict. Yes, yes, in the back. The, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is evidence of God's love. Absolutely. Uh, his freedom of us to, to make a choice, offer all the evidence. This is, he lays it out there and he lets us choose. Absolutely. And, and see, see if, if he was going to be the coercive power that Satan says he is, there would never have been that tree there in the first place. Okay, well said. So then back now, I use that to, to then step into the question of the Sabbath. Do you see the Sabbath has, uh, in the setting of the great controversy, is evidence of God's methods, pointing us to his law of love and a sign that God makes us holy. Is there some reason God provided the Sabbath then? Do you understand a reason? Are you getting your mind around the controversy? What was happening and why it was created at the end of creation week and and especially as a gift for man? Does the Sabbath provide evidence of God's character, love, and freedom? Truth, yes. Does the Sabbath also provide us an opportunity every week to choose to stop promoting self, to rest from all aspects of self-indulgence, whether it's wealth, seeking to gain wealth and work for self, whether it's pleasure-seeking, whether it's trying to save self by our hard work to keep the rules and to keep the Sabbath. Which many do. They work the hardest on Sabbath because they're trying to keep all the rules so they can be saved. Isn't it true? Yeah. That we rest and trust in God and choose to set a self aside in pursuit of God. There's another angle here for Adam and Eve as well. Adam and Eve were created in God's image and given godly powers. What powers were they given? Two powers they were given. Dominion. Dominion. They, had a, they had a domain to rule. And I believe their rulership is beyond our imagining. I think they could have all types of telekinetic and all kinds of powers. They could control nature, weather, all kinds of stuff. As God controls this universe, they could control this planet, inanimate things and, and so forth. 
all operating, of course, in love. I think they had incredible abilities. And, you, and Satan co-opted some of those abilities. And that's why you see in the book of Job, he brings storms and he does all kinds of stuff. He's got certain powers on earth. He, he brought diseases on people. He, he performed miracles with, the, with John, John, Jambres and John, Johnnes and um, in, in the uh, Pharaoh's uh, magicians with the, with the rods turning. I mean, he's got powers. But I think those powers were probably Adam's. Adam was the governor, ruler, co-ruler of this earth. And, and he gave those powers up. He was also given power of procreation. And do you think the Sabbath was necessary? Here are these beings now with godly powers needing every week to remember we're still created beings. We're not God. Every week, let's remember, the Sabbath reminds us that we were created. And it also reminds us of, of, in the context of God's character, his nature, his methods. And, and we love this God who created us and gave us these gifts. And, 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 and we, it, it's a hedge against becoming arrogant and self-centered. How, how does Satan corrupt the Sabbath and cheat us of this opportunity to experience genuine transformation and development of character in a love-yoked relationship with Jesus Christ? How does he cheat us of this? By infecting our minds with false law constructs, regardless of which day we worship on. If we worship on any day, including the Sabbath, but we worship a God who imposes rules to test us, and if we fail the test, then that God uses his power to punish and destroy, such obedience then is coerced and based on fear, and this leads and breeds to the character of a rebel. And we become people who would murder the creator of the Sabbath for healing people on the Sabbath. And we'd have the right day every week. Not only do we do that, but if we go down this path of imposed rule construct, then we create more rules that need to be enforced on that day. We bring pressure to bear on those who don't follow our rules for Sabbath keeping and observing the Sabbath the way we do. We become judges and spies and watch for breaks in the Sabbath rules, and then we gossip and malign those who don't behave like us on Sabbath. We've never seen that, have we? This is out of um, Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing, page 123. The effort to earn salvation by one's own works inevitably leads to men to pile up human exactions as barriers against sin. For seeing that they fail to keep the law, they will devise rules and regulations of their own to force themselves to obey. All this turns the mind away from God to self. His love dies out of the heart, and with it perishes love for fellow men. A system of human inventions with its multitudinous exactions will lead its advocates to judge all who come short of the prescribed human standard. The atmosphere of selfish and narrow criticism stifles the noble and generous emotions and causes men to become self-centered judges and petty spies. Isn't that profound? It's beautiful if you understand what's happening. Why is this happening? Because we don't see design law. We don't see God as creator. We don't, I mean, we don't judge people who decide to put water in their gas tank. We just say, well, that's, that was really kind of dumb. I mean, why did you choose to do that? I mean, you're good. But, but people who, you know, go out to eat on Sabbath, people have a glass of wine with their meal. Well, that's a really bad one, isn't it? I mean, we, we then become petty spies and judges. Do you understand if you believe that drinking wine is wrong? That if you see somebody drinking wine, you feel sad because you should be thinking, wow, they're stepping, they're like putting water in their gas tank. They're, they're burning out brain cells. They're damaging their liver. Uh, instead of, oh my, check another one up. They're going to get an extra 35 seconds in hell for that glass of wine. <laughs> Yes. Again, the best part about this for Satan is to focus on sins 
Yes. That's right. That's right. To make it behavioral. All right, second paragraph in, in Sabbath lesson. We're on our second paragraph now. <laughs> Today we are confronted... Today we are confronted not only with the challenge of the correct observance of Sabbath, but also with the popular belief that Sunday, not Sabbath, is the day of rest. Those pushing for Sunday, however, have nothing in their favor in the Gospels. The the Sabbath controversies in the Gospels dealt only with how the Sabbath was to be kept, never with when. Jesus' life and teachings leave us no doubt that the seventh-day Sabbath would continue as God's day of rest even after his death and resurrection. First first question, you know, says uh, challenge the correct... Of a correct observance of Sabbath, and also with the popular belief that Sunday, not Sabbath, is the day of rest. Is there a problem with resting on Sunday? No. Do you find any instruction where God says, Thou shalt not rest on Sunday? Sunday shall not be used as a day to think about me, to meditate upon my creation, to sing hymns to me, adore me, to pray to me, or worship me in any way. Do you find that written anywhere? But that's how it's often presented, isn't it? If, these, if, if somebody goes to church on Sunday and praises God and worships him and opens their heart to him in love, it's like sinners, rebellious fools. I mean, where do we get that? Do you understand how we've been tricked? Nowhere does it say that. So what is the problem with worshiping God on Sunday? There's nothing wrong with worshiping God on Sunday. Not a thing. Nor is there on Wednesday night prayer meeting or Tuesday night prayer meeting or Thursday night prayer meeting or any other day of the week you want to worship God. There's nothing wrong with doing that at all. The problem is forgetting the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now question, how can we do that really? Is it really the Sabbath that we are keeping holy by our choice? Or is it ourselves we're keeping holy by our choice? What percentage of the world's population do you think observe the Bible Sabbath each week? 24 hours each week. What percentage of the world's population? Seven billion people in the world. Do you think 70 million people are keeping the Sabbath each week? The Seventh-day Adventist church alone is probably about 19 million people. How many of those 19 million keep the Sabbath every week? All of them? Let's just give it, say all of them, all 19 million. How many Jews do you think there are keeping the Sabbath each week? And Seventh-day Baptists, do you think we've got 70 million people? I don't think so. That means 99, but let's give it 70, that's 1%, 1% of the population. That means 99% of the world's population is not keeping the Sabbath holy. Does that mean the Sabbath is no longer holy? Why not? If we're to keep it holy and we're not keeping it holy, then the Sabbath isn't holy, right? 99% is not doing it, so it's not holy. It's not about keeping the Sabbath holy. It's about keeping yourself holy. The Sabbath is still holy. Whether we keep it holy or don't keep it holy, the Sabbath is holy. And what does holy mean? It's set apart. It's distinct. It's different. It's got a purpose the other days don't have. And it's set apart how? It's set apart as a day which reveals the character of the one who wields power. Day one through six, creative power is wielded. And if you're one of those angels watching in the universe, it had to be scary. A few ounces of matter that we turn into energy as a nuclear weapon. Imagine the amount of energy to create the whole planet, to create the sun, to create our solar system. It was an incredible display of power. Lucifer's there. Guys, I tell you, the save wasn't powerful. I told you you couldn't trust him. He's trying to flex his muscles, intimidate you. You better get in line or he's going to wipe you out. And see that? He just created new intelligent beings. He can replace you anytime he wants. This guy can't be trusted. And in that context, what does it say that God didn't threaten? He simply said, universe, take 24 hours aside. I rest. Think it through for yourself. Come to your own conclusion. Day one through six, God has power. Day seven reveals the character of the one who wields it. This is profound. So true Sabbath observance is 
more than which day of the week it is having a character where the law is written on your heart and you operate on those principles of truth, love and freedom and how you deal with others. Yes. And then to come back to something also that you said about when Adam and Eve were created, there was a dominion and there was procreation. And they could have Sabbath to reflect that God was God and they weren't. And they could enjoy that relationship joyfully. If you believe Satan lies, you might be tempted to, to give in to thinking, well... I really should be like God, as opposed to, he's God, I'm not, I'm at peace with that. How can I serve him more? How can I love him more? As opposed to be all being all about me. Sure, well said, nicely said, thank you. Yes? It just came to me, the way it's being presented, or the way it all sounds like it came across to the angels and all the other created beings was, it's almost like this is the very first time they saw God create anything or wield his power. It's, and I can't imagine that he never created anything prior to the earth. No, it's the first time he created in the context of people alleging, of, of late Lucifer alleging that he was an abuser of power. It never was questioned before. It was never thought of before. Now you have Lucifer, the covering cherub coming from the presence of God saying, look guys, uh, you know, it's taken me millennia to get close enough to figure this out, but he's not what he pretends to be. He says he loves you, but he really doesn't. As long as you do what he says, everything's fine. But you have questions of your own. You, you want to do things he doesn't want. He will use his power to hurt you. This was the first time that creation happened in that context. For them to see that. Yes, those ideas had never crossed their mind. It was never questioned before. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, where? Okay. There's two things about the Sabbath. One thing is that it's a revelation about the character of God. The other thing is... There was a question, so to say, about the divinity of Christ. Satan said, said I am equal. Yes. Therefore, the Sabbath becomes the evidence that Christ is divine. Christ is God in the context of great controversy. So rightly understood, then, the Sabbath safeguards us from the imperial dictator view of God. We see that God operates truth, love, and freedom. He doesn't use power to coerce. Here, then, is the problem regarding the days of worship, of which Sunday is a sign. Here is the problem. This is out of Evangelism, page 234-235. And I want you to listen closely. But when the decree shall go forth enforcing the counterfeit Sabbath, I like the choice of words there because I'm going to unpack that in just a moment because most people are probably thinking Sunday, but it's more than that. Enforcing the counterfeit Sabbath and the loud cry of the third angel shall warn men against the worship of the beast in his image, the line will be clearly drawn between the false and the true. Then those who still continue in transgression will receive the mark of the beast. Did you hear that? Notice it is not about Sunday. It's not. It is about enforcing, about the use of arbitrary power to coerce in the setting in which God's true character is made known, that one rejects the principles of God for the methods of coercion, this is beastly. Amen. This is Satan's way. Here, Acts of the Apostles, page 12. Whereunto, asked Christ, shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what shall we compare it? He could not employ the kingdoms of the world as a similitude. In society, he found nothing with which to compare it. 
Earthly kingdoms ruled by the ascendancy of physical power. But from Christ's kingdom, every carnal weapon, every instrument of coercion is banished. You cannot coerce and be part of the kingdom of God. You coerce, you're beastly. And this is out of Desire of Ages 759. God could have destroyed Satan and his sympathizers as easily as one cast a pebble to the earth. But he did not do this. Rebellion was not to be overcome by force. And I can't tell you how many people read this and then they go on to teach that in the end, now that Christ has died and God killed Jesus on the cross to pay our penalty, that now God has the right to use force to kill you. And he'll kill you in the end. It's like, what? How does that work? It doesn't work at all. But anyway, rebellion was not to be overcome by force. Compelling power is found only under Satan's government. The Lord's principles are not of this order. His authority rests upon goodness, mercy, and love. And the presentation of these principles is the means to be used. God's government is moral, and truth and love are to be the prevailing power. So what is the mark of the beast? Not going to church on Sunday. That is not it but Sunday enforcement or the enforcement of any other religious practice. Right now in the Middle East, the Taliban and others are gaining political power and they're enforcing religious practice on the pain of death. This is beastly. This is the mark of the beast, even if they're enforcing Friday. Are you with me? The quotation said, but when... The decree shall go forth, enforcing the counterfeit Sabbath, and the loud cry of the third angel's message shall warn men against the worship of the beast and his image. The line will be clearly drawn between the false and the true. What is the false and the true that the line is drawing between? What is that false and true? Days of worship? Or what the days of worship are a sign of or symbolize? This is what Adventism has been so failing to acknowledge and realize. Adventism wants to make it so superficial, so cookie cutter, and and they're so wrong. Uh, Simply about the day. Well, if you go to church on Sunday, you get the mark of the beast. If you go to church on Sabbath, you're sealed with God. That's all you have to do. And when Christ comes, how do you know whether it's going to be Christ versus Satan impersonating Christ? Just watch the feet. If the feet don't touch the ground, if the feet do touch the ground, then it's the false Messiah because Jesus' feet won't touch the ground. So just watch the feet. You'll be safe. I mean, this is ridiculous. Haven't you heard this kind of stuff? Yes. Yes. This, is, this is childish thinking. And, we, and Paul tells us, you know, you, by, by now you should be on meat, but you're still on milk. Those on milk are not acquainted with righteousness. Let's not lay again the, uh, the, the repentance from acts that lead to death. <laughs> he says, in the mature of those who've developed by practice the ability to discern the right from the wrong. Let's not lay again the repentance of acts that lead to death. We've got to practice thinking. We've got to weigh the issues. We've got to see God's design, how he's built things. We've got to understand the difference between the two methods. One of Satan's strategies is to take signs. And, and, and I, hopefully I've made a case here. If I made the case here today that Sabbath is a sign of God's methodologies based on the way it was designed and constructed in Eden, truth, love, and freedom, the, the design laws of creation, creation operates on natural law and so forth, whereas Sunday was a day made holy by a, an arbitrary act of human power. And it's a symbol of that type of, of leadership and government, coercive power. And these are signs and symbols But signs and symbols are not the reality. Any more than a cross is the reality of Christ or a goat's head is the reality of Satan. They're signs and symbols. 
And one of the devil's tricks is he gets us to accept signs and symbols as reality. Classic. You're cleansed by the blood. Or there's power in the blood. Is there actually power in the blood? We get some red corpuscles of Jesus, we get some power. The power is in the one who shed his blood. The blood is symbolic. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no part with me. John chapter 6. He's not talking cannibalism. It's a symbol of the life. Unless you internalize the life of Christ, that it's no longer you and your selfish ways that live, but I and my selfless ways live in you. That you've been reborn and recreated within. Write the law in the heart and mind. This is symbolic stuff going on. Unless that happens. Or the robe of righteousness, another symbol. But it's been used to create a force shield that God can't penetrate with his heavenly scanning radar to find out your defects. When you put on the robe of righteousness, God cannot see your wickedness. And so he he sees the perfect blood of his son or the robe of his son covering you, even though this is the candy-coated rotten apple theory. Still rotten to the core, but that doesn't doesn't matter. God can't see how sinful you are. You only see Jesus. No. If you read Christ's object lessons, what it means to have the robe of righteousness, it means our thoughts are brought into harmony with his thoughts. Our desires are brought into union with his. Our mind is unified with his. We live his life. This is what it means to be covered with the robe of righteousness. That's page 311. But we get caught up in the symbols, so we actually have no power because we stay in symbols which keeps us in darkness. And then now the Sabbath, a sign. Sunday, a mark of two methods, two laws. The law of God, which is the law of love, truth, liberty, the principles the Creator constructed life to operate upon, of which Sabbath is a sign, is contrasted at war with arbitrary power, imposed rules by an enforcing authority of which Sunday is a sign in certain circles, but in other circles, Friday is a sign. And if we can't get our mind around this, then we will be like the Jews 2,000 years ago, crucifying the Savior and keeping the Sabbath. Here's another statement. This is out of uh, Review and Herald, April 27, 1911. Why are men not interested in knowing what constitutes the mark of the beast? The Sabbath question will be the issue in the great conflict of which all the world will act apart. Notice the Sabbath question, not the Sunday question. Because the Sabbath question is a question of God's character, as I've already laid out the evidence of what it represents and symbolizes. Christ died to save sinners, not in their sins, but from their sins. Do you understand what that statement is, what we teach, God's design, his design law, he wants to restore in you his character, his nature, he wants to have you live in harmony with how life was built. This is not what Reformation theology teaches. This is not what much of evangelical Christianity teaches. This is not what much of Adventism teaches. What they teach is that he came to save you from the penalty of sin, which was placed upon Christ, and Christ paid the penalty, and now you can have a legal pardon, but you're not saved from sin, you're saved in sin. That's not right. He wants to give you a new heart and right spirit. He wants you to be born, reborn in the inner man. He wants to write the law on the heart. He wants to circumcise the heart by the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you new desires, new motives, new methods. He wants to set you free here where you actually live in peace with him. And The warning given in Revelation shows us the terrible consequence of transgression. By lips that will not lie, God's law is declared to be holy, just, and good. Our duty to obey this law is the burden of the last message of mercy to go to the world. Now, what's the last message of mercy from Christ's object lessons? You just take that phrase? God's character of love. And when we live in harmony with the design law of love, we then carry the message of God's character to the world, the last message. God's law is no new thing. 
It is not holiness created, but holiness made known. It is a code of principles expressing mercy, goodness, and love. Notice what it expresses. Mercy, goodness, and love. It presents to the fallen humanity the character of God and states plainly the whole duty of man. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This command contains the principles of the first four precepts, and love your neighbor as yourself, the last of the precepts. These principles are made known by the third angel's message, which declares that the Creator has always that the Creator has always required and always will require obedience to his royal law. Why will he require it? We can't live outside of it. This is God's, this is how he built life. It would be like saying he requires you to breathe. The law of respiration. He requires you to breathe. It's a requirement. Well, man, that's a burden. I shouldn't have to breathe. But this law has been disregarded and transgressed and is now being ignored by the churches. Human enactments are placed where God's law should be. You see the problem? We have this, and it's not Sunday versus Sabbath simply. It is the entire idea that we conceive of God as a dictator who makes up rules and then we'll have an investigation and we'll go through our records and then he'll mete out punishments and he'll be the source of inflicted pain and suffering. We have then just put human laws where God's law should be. And we've made, made God look like the, the Roman dictator Nero. Here's a quote from more than 100 years ago, making it plain about the mark of the beast. Listen to this. Review and Herald, July 13, 1897. The time has come for the true light to shine amid moral darkness. The third angel's message has been sent forth to the world, warning men against receiving the mark of the beast or of his image in their foreheads and in their hands. To receive the mark of the beast means to come to the same decisions as the beast has done and to advocate the same ideas in direct opposition to the word of God. Do you understand? It's about your character. It's about the methods. It's about viewing God as an imperial dictator. It's about seeing God as a, as a, as a rules-oriented being who must police breaches in the rules and punish people and then use coercive power. And this is how it's going to happen. Lucifer is going to come as an angel light after one or two of his underling angels come to pretend to be an angel of light first so he can overthrow them and make you think he's really the one. But he's going to come as an angel of light and he's going to perform miracles and he's going to perform melodious words and he's going to tell you that he died for your sins and he's here with grace and forgiveness and he's going to make it appear the dead are coming up out of the grave and he's going to do all these great things and he's going to say, and some are going to question. And he's going to say, look guys, I love you, I died for you, I paid the penalty of your sin. All I need you to do is accept me as your savior and worship me. But if you don't, justice will require that I kill you. And the world will go, amen, this is our God, we have waited for him. And in truth, in reality, God will not have to inflict death or pain or suffering on anyone, any more than a doctor would have to kill their patients who refused to take their remedy. Understand, we are dead in our trespass and sin. We're in a terminal condition, deviant from God's design. God is working to heal us and restore us. If we reject his restoration, his healing, his remedy, the only result is ruin and death. He does not have to kill us. This is Satan's view. But the world is waiting for a God like this to punish sin and destroy sinners, and they will accept him. And that's the same method, and they will have the mark, because they are coming to the same conclusions about God that the beastly system has taught. Yes? So if we think about the mark of a beast as responding without thinking and considering, like an animal, 
as a beast. Yes. That would be the mark of a beast rather than thinking in terms of mark of the beast. Yes. So just a different way to think of it. Mark of a beast. Yes, yes. A mark of It's beastly. That's why I use this word beastly. This beastly type of behavior, the survival of the fittest behavior, power over people, tear and slash and destroy if, they, if you don't get your way. This is the beastly way. And, and the world is coming back expecting God and Jesus to act like the beast. Yes. I, the way you described sin just now and its, and its natural consequences to us, the way that's worked in my life is for me to be more afraid of sin than I, you know, really, it, it becomes like life and death for real, not just this choice that God gets to make about me. And, and that, it's very powerful to understand it correctly. And, and don't you feel freedom with God? Yes. And, and I'm going to tell you. Instead uh, of this, does he like me, does he not, you know. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I was raised in such a way that for much, I would say probably more than half of my life, I was more afraid of God who was trying to save me than I was sin, which was destroying me. Now, like you, I'm much more fearful of sin than I am of God. I don't fear, you know, Lexus. I fear putting water in my tank. See? (laughs) And I won't, and if I do that, I still don't fear Lexus. You see? Yes. Hand somewhere else. Any closing comments? All right. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are our creator, our designer, the builder of the universe, whose laws are the very protocols upon which life is designed to operate, which is an expression of your character of love. Open our minds to see this. We have been in such darkness. We've been so fooled to think that you are like a a, a dictator, a human governor, just making up rules and then policing rules to to punish. Lord, we, we can see that that is not it. That's beastly. Lord, there's a world that needs to know this truth. We ask for your blessing on this ministry, on our friends here all over the world who are trying to share this message, that you will open avenues for this message to go forward, hold back forces of evil that are trying to shut it down. Those here in this room who are out sharing, give them the words to speak, a heart to speak, opportunities, and and may the world soon be lightened that you might come. We pray in your holy name. Amen.